0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Please be seated. There are a number of themes in today's readings, the most obvious and yet the deepest perhaps being that of belief and doubt, but another theme that runs through them is the one I'm seeking to explore this morning and has to do with forgiveness you will see that the liturgical modules of confession and absolution have not uh, quite returned to their regular status the process of relocation is still ongoing we have a rather ritualized confession very light touch and a second person absolution which is always efficacious but again shifts the focus back onto us as a community. The summary of the law, God's command that we love him and love one another, is back in its rightful place. And these three things all work together. The law, our falling short, our confession, and God's gracious and merciful forgiveness. The Christian life in Nuce. So... If we mess up on the commandments, at least liturgically, we can ask for forgiveness and receive it. And that's good news, because if we don't ask, and if we don't give forgiveness, that little mound that we're making around us of unacknowledged, unconfessed, and unforgiven sins rises to form a wall. And I'm not just speaking liturgically, but of the liturgy that is life a wall which encircles us and locks us in and puts us on the defensive and fills us up with fear. The capacity to seek and receive forgiveness is the part of our spiritual life, the very heartbeat, if you like, of it. And the alternative is to live always in fear. Fear is forgiveness or fear for the unforgiven and the unforgiving Life is fear, and fear is never far from the surface. On to our text. The Gospel, John 20. What do we find? We started last week in the open air, the garden, the tomb, dawn. Now we are in the upper room. It's dark, the door is locked for fear. What do we find? People huddled in fear, confused, exhausted, lost, and aching with loss. The loss of everything they had and everything they had hoped for, gone. And there are worse things than loss to deal with. Here, there is guilt, and guilt becomes shame when it is found out. And there's plenty of collective guilt to go around, locked up in that little room right now. Let's start with Peter, a man who cannot even face a servant girl and three times denies the Lord. Just when Jesus needed his followers with him, Peter turned and ran, bolted, and is now bolted behind the door of his own fear, his own loss, and his own shame. There is Thomas, who nurses anger as well, whose self-loathing is so great that he, poisoned with doubt, wonders why he had wasted his time with this so-called Messiah at all for a time. Jesus, well, they have heard now that he is risen from the dead, that he is alive and kicking, kicking indeed. These men are not grateful right now for knowing him, and they are not running out to find him and to help him take Jerusalem for the kingdom and for the king. What's in their minds right now? If Jesus is risen... Then he was what he said all along. They should be happy. Yes, power and more to spare. No. Rewind. Where did these disciples see him last? On the cross? As they stood around? As the soldiers had to hold them back? As they said, put me on the cross with him? No. They were long gone by then somewhere else. And now, Jesus is somewhere else, too, back on the scene. What do you think is going through their mind, these disciples in hiding? They've seen what the powers that be can do. Now, it's payback time. And when Jesus is done with the Romans, and has set a few scribes and Pharisees straight, he is going to be coming for them. Isn't that what he told them himself? Remember those parables about unfaithful stewards and negligent servants. They remember them now. Remember what the master will do when he returns. I quote, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for those enemies of mine, bring them here and slaughter them before me. The voice of our Lord. And that's not all. And I quote, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Thus saith the Lord. It will not be pretty, and now Jesus is here. A knock on the door, not even that. Jesus is not some phantom that passes through walls, that bolt slides open from without, and an all-too-corporeal body pushes the door open, pushes his way in. The disciples shrink. Jesus came and stood among them and said. Now you all know what Jesus says. Let's stop the clock. Because something happens here, right here in mid-verse in this room. Jesus has come back for them. Yes. But something breaks that phrase, has come back For them in half right there and sets them free. Jesus has come back, yes, and for them, yes. This is the point. Jesus is for them, not against them. Jesus is for them. That's why he's come back. That's why he will stay with them this next 50 days enjoying them eating with them, weeping with them, encouraging them, building them up, leading them on to what is next. Jesus' work is done, after all. He has lived his life. He has died his death. Now he is here just for them, for no other reason than I can understand except to be just there for them here for them with them, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, "Peace be with you." We read that it goes over our head. It's like he said, "Hi, how are you? Even that would have been remarkable for them. <laughs> Peace be with you. He shows them his wounds, that it really is he that really is risen. Then the disciples were glad. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Then were they glad. Then Genesis again, this dawn of creation, this first day of the rest of the life of the cosmos, and Jesus breathes, God breathes onto them the Holy Spirit, the very breath of new life. You have been tried and tested, he says, and you have not done well. But now, now you will be given not just another chance to fail again. You will be given what you need and what you always needed. And now forgiven, you will give. You will proclaim to the world the offer that what the world really needs, who the world really needs, is here, too, for them. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. There are a lot of rabbit trails around this text in which it is easy to get lost. It's easy to get lost here in thinking of the power of the church to enforce what goes on in heaven. I leave that thought to others. I say, better if heaven would use the church to empower what goes on in the world. Better if heaven would use us to set the agenda for what goes on in the world. One thing to take from this injunction That forgiveness, to be efficacious, to be real, must be not just proclaimed to the whole world in some general confession, but be offered and given to specific individuals, real people who have hurt you and who you have hurt. St. John says, we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us us from all sin. Again, it's about forgiveness. Walking in the light presupposes the rhythm of forgiveness. John, in his first letter, now making this forgiveness the foundation of the new creation. Wait a minute, you'll say. Sin and the forgiveness of sin are not these behind us. Were these not the rhythm of life in the old regime? But lest we imagine that the new birth, the new breaking into the old, means that we sin no more on this side of eternity. St. John stops us in our triumphalistic tracks. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And again, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Who's that? Jesus. We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Bad news. But the good news, quite literally, the gospel is this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I know what Luther said. And heaven forbid I should disagree with him. Sin boldly. <laughs> well, there's a little context there. But Luther went on to say, sin is not to be sought out, and we are not to go about looking out, seeking every opportunity to sin, so that grace may abound. But if sin, which is always seeking us out, finds us, and we fall, then we can at least come back to these words. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. He pays the price, he picks up the tab, he covers the cost, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, In what he has paid, there's plenty of forgiveness left over for that world. If that world will only ask for it, if that world will only receive it. This is good news. No, this is fantastic news. This is incredible, unbelievable news. Why? Because the law of life, the law of nature pure and simple, is this. What goes around comes around. Nature is a closed system ruled only by power. I love this beautiful world, but on its own terms, this beautiful world of nested ecosystems knows only one law, and that is the law of power. Might makes right the survival of the fittest. That is Mother Nature's gift to us. Whatever you do or don't do, you live with the consequences forever. But into this world, God has come to speak a word of grace. To break down the tyranny of the law of our past, poisoning our future and robbing us of our hope. The law of nature, the moral law within, the starry sky without, says whatever you do or don't do, You're stuck with it. Like space junk, it is locked in a stationary orbit and flies across our field of view whenever we would gaze upon the stars. Grace, however, opens the system up, gathers up that junk, clears our view, blesses our fellowship with a God who we know now is not distant not remote not sitting up upon a star but is here in our hearts a god who is here for us and who has all the time in this world for us for you and i can we trust those god those words of god can we trust one another to forgive and to give forgiveness to Allow us to live free from secondhand afterthought revenge. Can we believe that? That's the challenge to us. And when we are challenged to believe, we're challenged not just to put our faith in a set of facts to which we give our assent each Sunday but in a new reality in which we are entitled to live every day of the week. That is the reality of grace and forgiveness. Our willingness to give it, our willingness to receive it, and our willingness to trust the Holy Spirit of God to give us the strength that we do not have, the courage that we do not have, because it takes courage to forgive. These words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Can we do that? The Lord slides open the bolt that locks the door of our hearts, comes into our lives and says to us, Peace be with you, my peace I give to you. Amen.